0: This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. Okay, if you've got a Bible, let's open to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3 is where we are going to be together this morning. If that sounds familiar, it's probably... Because Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 are some of the most famous verses in the Bible. Uh, I have to tell you that I love that because they're so good. And then I have to tell you that I'm a little bit intimidated when we come to verses like this kind of all at the same time. When there are verses that are so well known, probably some of the most famous in all of the Bible, it just makes me a little nervous because I really really want to nail them. These are verses that believers throughout millennia have been comforted by and rejoiced in and used to celebrate with. And when they've been in mourning, they've been comforted by them. And there's a stability that the Word of God brings to believers. So when we come to these, I just, I really want to get them. But there's a little bit of nervousness. that. that, that kind of creeps in, and, and honestly, I, when that happens, sometimes I, I think I put a little too much pressure on myself uh, to do that, and that, that's kind of what happened this past week. I just, as I was preparing this, I, I just felt locked up all week. I mean, just kind of nothing seemed right. Uh, I, I couldn't land on, on an outline that I liked, everything, you know, I'm just, I'm writing everything, I, I write stinks, and I probably, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not kidding, I probably started at least a hundred sentences this week that, that just either never made it into this manuscript. Uh, you, know, you know what you do? You kind of start typing something, you're like, ah, that's terrible. And then you just delete the whole thing and, and sort of, but I did that hundreds of times this week. And, and I, don't, I don't tell you this because I don't want you to, I, I need your reassurance. I, I'm, I'm not seeking validation. I, I'm telling you this because I want you to know that it's okay to read the Bible And it's okay to struggle with understanding it. And I want you to know that that if while you're reading the Bible, you don't feel like you're you're quite getting all of it, that's okay. I'm there too, and and this is what I do all the time. This is what I what I do for a living. And so if you're wondering how do I work out the Bible in my own life, how do I obey the Bible's teaching? I'm just I just feel like sometimes I miss it. We're all in that together. And so let me just tell you, kind of based on my own experience this last week, what I do when I'm in that place. The best thing that I think you can do, and was what I did, is you back out and you go back to simple and first principles. So you basically just back out and you say, okay, what is the simplest thing that this is definitely saying? Go simpler. Most of the Bible is actually really simple. It it really is. There are complex parts. I'll admit that. Most of the Bible is really simple. It's it's got a simple, pure message. The commands of the Bible are clear. The worldview of the Bible is really easy to understand. Core message of the Scripture is is really, really accessible. So when you're struggling to understand, just back out and start there. And so that's what I did. So sometimes I struggle. I mean, I just stared at this. But then sometimes around Friday afternoon... Which is part of my flow. I just kind of worked out, said, okay, simple as I can make it, what are these verses saying? And this is what I wrote down. God, no matter what. Scroll that down on a piece of paper. God, no matter what. Here's what I mean by that. You're going to have to believe in something. And everybody trusts in something. It needs to be God. It needs to be the one true God. We'll see this in these verses, but sometimes life is going to be great, and other times you're going to feel like you are really in it. And no matter what the circumstances of that moment are, you've got to be all in with God. That's the only way your life is really going to make sense, is if it's God no matter what. So look at verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. All your heart. You can't do that unless you're all in. Your whole heart gets you to God no matter what, any less than that. And you're going to be someplace kind of around God. But, you know, really, if only I think it's going to work out. If I'm I'm not so sure, then it's not God no matter what. It's God, but am I open to other offers if I think I can get a better one? And so here's why it needs to be above everything. Here's why it needs to be above everything else. Look at the second half of verse 6. If we lean on him, if we don't make idols, if we're turned toward him, He'll make our paths straight. And so I've been telling you to to understand a a promise like that uh, for the last three weeks. I've actually said that I think each of the first three weeks of the series, that these are proverbs and they contain promises, but those promises aren't like guarantees. They're not like a vending machine where if you put in your quarters and you type the right combination of letters and numbers that the little dial spins and outfalls the exact candy bar that you have requested. These are promises that say, if you live your life this way, God will rightly order your steps. If you don't live your life this way, you've got no hope. But last week I compared them to promises for marriage. Just because you follow the Lord's way for marriage doesn't mean everything in your marriage is going to be easy. But if you don't, you do almost be sure that you're going to struggle. So this isn't some kind of a threat to say that if you aren't all in with God, God's not going to make your life, your, the path of your life straight. He's not going to make your, make your path crooked. It's God saying there's only one way to a straight path, And that's with him. He doesn't want you to be confused. As if there are some options you have, take him because it's the preferable one. He's saying if if you've got any hope to walk a straight and narrow path, it's only in him. And so that's what I mean when I say God no matter what. So I want to read you the rest of this. uh, But here's what we're going to see around it. i just tell you that by, by way of intro. Uh, The first part of these verses that we're working this morning, verses 1 to 8, are going to teach us how to live with with God above everything else, and then we're going to talk about what happens when we do. So these are four, there are four of these, four, I'll kind of call them actualities from a wise father, just this is how it actually is, and it's... It's fitting that we're doing this on Father's Day, because these are four lessons from a wise father who knows that you're going to be looking to something in your life. Everybody looks to something, and it needs to be God, and then each of these are accompanied by four reasons. Again, not guarantees, but they're not shots in the dark either. Just because they're not guarantees doesn't mean that there aren't reasons to hope this way. This is the Word of God. He's the Creator. He knows this. He's wise. He knows you. So he's not just throwing these things out, saying, you know, these are little catchy axioms. He's saying, I've created the world. I know it, and I know you. This is the best way to live your life. So there's four of these. They all go the same way. There's something true, and then God gives the reason for it. And so this this is the other thing that that I'm grateful for as a Christian. God gives the reasons, folks. It's also how we can know that Proverbs and, and the rest of the Bible really isn't just religious exercise for the sake of religion. If this, is, if this was just religion, if this was just live your life good or else, it would be this. We'll live this way because I said so. That's what religion is. If it it's just I'm waiting to get you, I'm waiting to give you a hard time, it would just be live this way because I said do it. And the promise would you know, kind of go something like, and if you don't, I'm going to get you, or if you don't, I'm going to punish you. For disobeying me. But, but that's not what we get in Proverbs. That's not it at all. This is counsel from a gracious, loving father to children who he delights in. Who he's pleading with to live the best way to live because he loves them so much. So it's, it's a father saying, listen, there are lots of wrong ways to live in the world. But there's only one right way to live. And I really care to make sure you're living that way. And if anybody gets nervous, just if you get nervous with how exclusive it sounds to say there's only one right way to live in the world, let me just kind of answer it this way. Answer that charge this way. It's only, or it's exclusive. But it's only exclusive to the point where people are excluded if we say this is just about avoiding stupidity and wasting your life. It's not exclusive when it comes to who can hear this and who can put this advice into practice. This isn't exclusive advice. It's like it only applies to a few people. This is for everybody. This is open to everybody. Everybody can do this. What's more, because of who God is and what he's like, everybody can try this. They can fail at times to live this way. But God is gracious and merciful and he's kind and he forgives. And he gives more chances. And so everybody can read, anybody in the whole world can read the book of Proverbs, can say... I hear and I see and I read this advice and I want to take it and and this is the best way to live. But even when I fail to live, if I come in the name of Jesus Christ and say, I failed again, Lord, we don't receive condemnation from God. We receive mercy and yet another chance. So this isn't just good advice. This is gospel life. It's the gospel worked out. And so just like the gospel is hearing the call of God and being free from the bondage of sin and fully alive, this is actually the same thing in the book of Proverbs. It's not a threat. But if you don't live this way, what God is saying is you're going to miss out on the best parts of life. So there's four lessons, each with the reason why we should live this way, why we should listen. Uh, And then following that, there are two extremes. We're going to kind of play this out in two extremes at the end, both challenging in their own ways, both difficult circumstances to trust God in, but kind of working that out in the real world. So we're not going to read the whole section at once this morning. I I just kind of want to work each of these. I'm going to read the first couple. I'm going to do the last two together. But first... What is the teaching? What is the lesson? And then what is the reason? So let's start at the beginning of Proverbs uh, chapter three. Put your eyes there if you've got it. If you don't have a Bible, if you didn't bring one, use the hardback black one in the Bible in front of you. I want you to read these things for yourself, especially in the book of Proverbs. So good to have our eyes on these things. Proverbs 3, one. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life, And peace they will add to you. So this first one is a good place to start seeing the the instruction and then and then hearing the reason. So it says, Keep my commandments, because when you do, it leads to peace. A couple of things to just increase our our understanding of, of what's being said here. First, when you read, keep my commandments, your mind probably substitutes keep my commandments for obey my commandments. And that's not wrong. It's not wrong if you if you're just to say obey my commandments. But what, what we could also translate this word keep as, as guard. Keep makes more sense in the English. But the Hebrew, this was originally written in, has the sense of guard yourself with my commandments. And again, notice where this starts. My son. How often does a defiant child think that the instructions from their parents are to decrease their enjoyment in life and to keep them from having fun but how often does any good parent realize that that's not ever the case? The instructions from good parents are always to help their children. Always. So I'm a father. I've given my kids countless instructions. I've given my kids commands. I tell my children what they will do, or at least what they should do and what will happen if they defy me. You could call them orders. I mean, I'm not afraid of that. I I give my kids orders, but you, you know what? I've never told them ever in my entire life, I have never told them anything, ordered them to do anything because I wanted their life to be less fun. I've never done that. I've never said You know, looks like there's some fun breaking out here. We better put a stop to that with a few rules. I like having fun. When I tell my children to do something, though, it's because as a father, and honestly, I think I'm a pretty good father. I'm not perfect, but I think I'm a good one. As a father who has my children's best in mind, I tell them things because I can see what their behavior, this decision path that on, I can see what they're doing is going to lead toward. And I want to help them. Sometimes it's as simple. I mean, parents, we, we, we've had this, if you do that, you might die. You know, so don't do that. So the I mean, simple is don't run into the street. It's not because I don't want you to have fun and you might have fun in the street. It's because you might get hit by a car and die in the street. Other times it's, it's, it's just as simple as don't touch that, don't eat that, don't lick that. Because you might get sick, because it might harm your body. Other times it might be if you keep doing that, it's going to damage your relationship with your friend or your cousin. Other times if you do that, I, we could go on and on, but never in my life have I just said, I want to decrease your enjoyment in this world. So do this. So I see these things and I say, here's what's going to happen. In one way or another, there is going to be a breakdown of Peace. In their life, if they continue on this path, things will be harder. And so I say, here's my teaching. Here's what's going to bring peace. And peace is the point of the whole Bible. Peace is the heart of the gospel. Uh, Maybe you've heard the the Hebrew word shalom. It's just a, it's a word that that means peace. But it's not just quiet or calm or maybe the, the absence of conflict. Shalom is total rest. We need first peace with God because our, our, our sin is actually a declaration of war against him. And the Bible says it puts us at enmity with him. And you may not feel that way. That, that may not be your intention. But when you're sinning, when I sin, what we're really saying with each defiant action is I don't want you to be God anymore. I'll take it from here. Thank you very much. And so God makes peace with us, and he breaks down the wall of hostility through Jesus Christ. Because of sin, we don't have the ability to make peace with God ourselves anymore, and so God sends Jesus, who's the ultimate peacemaker. Romans 5.1 says that when our faith is in Jesus, it brings us back into a peaceful relationship with God. And so the idea of peace and rest through Jesus is then picked up by the letter of Hebrews. And really that's what Hebrews is all about, is how to have peace and rest in God. And there there it says it's actually more than Jesus just making peace. He actually becomes our source of peace. And so if you want to have peace with God, you have to go to him. You have to go through Jesus. The great news is it says that anybody can do that. Again, it sounds exclusive to say there's only one way to God and it's through Jesus Christ, but it's not. It's totally inclusive. It includes everybody in the world. Anybody in the world can come to to God and have peace through Jesus. There's not a single soul alive right now who that offer is not open to. So hear these words from a loving father, not to kill joy in life, but to lead toward peace. Okay, second lesson, verse three. Let not the steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. If we're going to be asked to build our lives around something, and if I'm going to stand up here and say, trust God no matter what, probably the the one thing we need to know is what kind of God are we being asked to trust? And the answer is right here in these words. He is a God who is of steadfast love and faithfulness. They're the key words because they describe God. So, In Exodus 34, 6, this is what God proclaims about himself. It says, the Lord passed before him, that's Moses, and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is is who he is. God could choose to say anything about himself here. He could have said, I am the God of truth and holiness. He could have said, I am righteous and just. All those things are true. But he says, I am steadfast love and faithfulness. That just just isn't what he does. It's who he is. And then then it says, because you're going to need to trust him in a tumultuous world, You've got to write this on the tablet of your heart. In other words, sear this into you to have peace with God and to know him and to to trust Him to walk with you. Sear this onto you. Uh, I have a meat brand, my own. Uh, so if, you, if you're wondering, like, what, what, what does our pastor like to eat? Here's just one clue of what I like. I have my own meat brand, which should make it pretty obvious what I like to eat. And I don't mean like a brand like I've got a label. I mean like I've got a, a piece of metal that I can get really hot, and then I can take it and I can press it into a piece of meat, and it says my name, literally it says my name on the piece of meat that I'm grilling. Um I fear on this Father's Day I've just ruined the gifts of many children and spouses to their, to their fathers and husbands. Because now every man is like, man, I, want a, I want my own brand for the meat. You all think that's cool. Now, you can come over to my house and I'll grill you something and I'm, I'll stamp my name on it. <laughs> it literally serves no other purpose. It's just cool. God says I'm steadfastly loving and unfailingly faithful. Brand that onto you so that you know exactly whose you are and you're reminded all the time what I'm like. It's so important that if you're going to put anything on your heart, make sure it's that. Because if that's what marks your heart, we cover our heart, of course, talking about what's at our center, what's the core of us. then then you're not only going to understand God, but your whole life is going to be changed by that. Because you'll have the assurance that comes from knowing that not only is God for you, but he's never going to stop being for you. He will never be distracted. He will never decide, that's it, that's enough. He will always be for you. That's what steadfast love is. He's unfailingly faithful. He stands resolute for you. That's why, if you try to build your life on anything else, everything else is gonna pale is gonna pale in comparison to that. What else are you gonna build your life on? How much money you have? What are your sort of qualifications that you've earned? You kind of an educa- a degree of education that you've attained? How many friends you have? Listen, folks, money comes and goes. If you're invested at all in the stock market, money comes and goes. People are fickle. You've probably got some great friends. I hope you do. I've got some great friends. I, I mean, I trust them. I'm not, I'm not just waiting for my friends to abandon me, but I, I've had it happen b- before. But everybody in the room has been a great friend to somebody, and their friend has turned on them. Maybe out of hurt, maybe out of anger, maybe out maybe of just uh, their own stuff. People are fickle. People come and go. I mean, your education? When was the last time you asked anybody, what was your GPA? I've got a bunch of degrees. I've never shown them to anybody. You know what my degrees are? Literally, and take you back to my office right now, they're not even on the wall. I've been a pastor here 11 years. I've never, had a, I've never had time to hang them on the wall. They're leaning up against my desk. One of them's not even in a frame. God's immovable. He'll never disappoint you. He gets angry, but he's slow to anger. And that's not what even defines him. It's his love that defines him, his faithfulness. So how does this translate into into finding favor and success with God and man? Because that's what it says, so you'll find favor and good success in the sight of God and man? Simple. Your definition of success changes. If you define success by the things of this world, that's all, you'll, you'll, the Bible says you'll receive your reward. But it'll be temporary. and It'll be small in comparison. You're going to be easily moved because those things come and go. But on the other hand, if you define success as getting near to God and being known in Him, then whatever comes, you'll still rest secure in it. Because God's not in and out. He's the same every single day, forever. Okay, last couple. I'm going to do one and then the other, but I'm going to kind of combine them. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5, let's let's actually read this this time. So trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Okay, so we've we've already talked about this a little bit. Here's what I want to do. I, I just want to ask you a few diagnostic questions. If God makes straight our paths and we acknowledge him, and when we're leaning on his understanding and not ours, we need to start by, by asking, how do we know it's his understanding, not our own understanding? And the best way to know what God thinks and to, to, to ask you if we're doing things according to his way or ours is to look at his word. So here are just a few diagnostic questions, starting with your Bible reading. How do I know if I'm leaning on my own understanding or if I'm pressing into the Lord, if I'm trusting him with all my heart, if it's, if it's God above everything else? Uh, question number one, do you regularly read things in the Bible that cause you to pause and ask if you are living that way. This actually goes, and we'll just bring in this next proverb. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So how is it healing and refreshing to find out you're not fully trusting in God? Why, why would that be healing? Wouldn't that be disconcerting? Wouldn't that cause you to, to have kind of a crisis point in life to know, I'm not trusting in God. Well, the answer is, is actually because it means you haven't been blinded by pride. If you can simply say, if you can read your Bible and pause and say, I don't think I've been living this way, I need to turn my way toward God, then thanks be to God because you have not been blinded by pride. If you can read your Bible and all you say is time after time, thanks to God. Thank God I always do that. God, give me patience with all these sinners that surround me and all these fools I have to suffer that can't live as uprightly and as holy and as righteously as I am. You actually aren't living in a godly way. You have been blinded by pride, and refreshment is not going to come to your bones. You will just stay angry and bitter. So it is actually very good to be able to read your Bible And to conclude that you have some work to do, it actually means it's working. If you're reading your Bible well, you're going to rightly conclude that much of the world is not acknowledging God in all their ways. Absolutely. But you'd better be able to put yourself right along in in there as well or you are being wise in your own eyes, haughty in your eyes, is where it says another place in Proverbs. So here's another question. Do you think that every interpretation of scripture you have is correct, even when you disagree with others who love God and his word? So do you kind of think in other words that you have the market cornered on truth? And I ask this because if there's no room to engage with people who read the Bible differently than you do, it may not be be God's understanding that you're leaning on. It may be your own understanding. And again, that's not humble. Uh, So there are things that are clear in Scripture, and they're just not up for grabs. All Christians agree on this. Uh, There's one God. He's triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, Repentance and faith in the name of Jesus is our only hope for salvation. Christians have to agree that the Bible is inerrant. We have to agree that holy living is not a, a secondary matter. So in other words, there's God, he's made a way to be saved, and all Christians will desire personal holiness. God has a way that honors him and a way that the world does things and where the world and God are in conflict We have to know that God is righteous and right. Uh, So there's a clear biblical, personal, and sexual ethic. There are clearly commands about how we're to relate to other people. There's clearly commands about the kinds of lives that we're to live, what is right and is wrong. And we don't acknowledge and honor God when we flaunt that. We don't acknowledge, we don't, we don't. honor God and we compromise into the ways of the world, hoping that it just makes us a little bit more likable. But there are matters that don't rise to orthodoxy that Christians may disagree on. And if there's no room for, in, in that for you, is it the word of God that you are trusting or is it the word of you? Here's just a simpler way of saying this. If you think you're right about everything all the time, you're probably wrong about quite a few things, and even the most important of them. One more. Can you admit when you're wrong and ask for forgiveness? And can you give it when you're wronged? Forgiveness is at the heart of the Christian life. There's no such thing as Christianity apart from Jesus Christ... And his mission was to make a way for sinners to receive grace and mercy from God. So I think there's a circular flow to this understanding. Kind of follow me in this. If you don't know you need forgiveness from God, you're not yet a Christian. Let me say that again. That's That's the first part of our circle. If you don't know that you need forgiveness from God, you're not yet a Christian. Here's the next thing. If you don't know you need the forgiveness of others, you are proud. Got the first two? If you don't know you need forgiveness from God, you're not a Christian. If you don't know that at times you're going to need forgiveness for others, you are proud. And finally, back up to the top, if you can't ever forgive others, you don't really know the extent that God has gone so that he may be able to forgive you. That's how we go round and round. You need the forgiveness of God. You need to be able to forgive. You need to know that you need forgiveness from others, and you need to be able to forgive others because God has forgiven you of much. We could go round and round in that circle of forgiveness all day long. And if you wonder where I am in that, go toward Jesus, and you will always find the right direction. Because of love, because of the faithfulness of God, because God always fulfills his promises, he will forgive everybody who goes to him through Jesus. And through Jesus, he will teach you to ask forgiveness for others, and he will teach you to offer forgiveness to others when you've been wrong. So let's finish this out. I wanna finish this out by, by talking about trusting God at some of the extremes of life. So let me read the rest of this and then I'll kind of explain why, why these two extremes, why, why I think the, the father has chosen these. So verse nine, honor the Lord with your wealth and with your first, first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord approves him who he loves, as a father, the son in whom he delights. So there are two primary places where we will find it most difficult to trust God wholeheartedly. And those two places are when you have plenty and when you're in a lot of pain. That's why the Father chooses these two scenarios. When the, bi- when the barns are full and the vats are bursting, it's hard to feel like you can it's hard to feel like you need to even acknowledge God because you're on top of the world. It's so easy to think that, that God is for people. Not quite as successful as you are. That, you know, of course, other people need God, but look at me, look at what I've built, look at how full the barns are, look at how full the vats are. I don't need God. Other people who aren't quite as successful as I am, they need God. They're not as put together as I am. I don't really need him. I'm kind of doing fine on my own. The other side is pain. Discipline and reproof equal pain because it's natural to struggle, experience tragedy, and ask, why? Why me? When others around me are not experiencing this? Why me when I've tried so hard? So that's why he chooses plenty and pain. So, first though, uh, why is it, we'll, we'll get to pain, but why is it wise to trust the Lord with your wealth? The answer here is because how we use, spend, what we do with our money really reveals what we are trusting. If you and I exchanged bank statements, we're going to know what's important to one another very quickly. The reason this proverb says, make sure you honor the Lord with your first fruits is because you have to do something first with your money. You have to start someplace with it. And if it's not, worship, if it's not to worship God, to use it to glorify God, then you'll be communicating you first have some other priority. When it comes, and and money's precious to us. Money opens up to us a lot of things. Money's an avenue and a window and a a path toward lots of things for us. And so if it's not glorifying God first with your money, you just have to admit I'm doing something else first. I've got something else before God with this, with this thing that's precious to me. And so listen, this, this isn't a tithing guilt trip. I think you should give to the Lord first, but not because I I, want to make sure our accounts are full here. It's because I want to make sure that your priorities are rightly ordered. If God's getting whatever's left over of your money, he's probably getting what's left over from you in quite a few other ways as well. He's probably getting your leftover time, your leftover energy, your leftover focus, your leftover affections, Is he getting the leftovers of your heart? If he's getting your leftover money, there's a good chance that's pretty indicative of the way you're approaching him in a lot of other areas of your life. Now, the second part, the pain. Proverbs says, trust God with pain because pain isn't a sign that God's left you. It's a sign that God loves you. Hebrews 12 picks this up and just helps us to understand this. I almost don't even need to say more than this. It actually quotes this proverb. And then in verse 7, it kind of comments on it by saying, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God's treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you, are, then you are illegitimate children and not actually sons. So let's come back to this. I already told you this. I, I'm a father. I've never once said, today I want to make my children's lives harder for no reason, with no benefit in mind, kind of purely for my own amusement. I'm just going to start disciplining them because I'll get a kick out of that. I actually don't do that. It's really hard to discipline your children. You know what's easy to do with children? Let them do whatever they want. Because it's it's, it's hard. It's work. I have to focus a lot to discipline my kids. In fact, sometimes I'm guilty of not disciplining them because I just want to take it easy. I can go, you know, I can just let this go or I can get into this and it's going to be harder for me. I'm going to have to get up out of this chair if I want to discipline this child. Sometimes I just don't want to. And so we actually see it's just the opposite. I discipline my kids, not always perfectly, because I love them. I want them to grow to be godly, upright people who honor the Lord. I want them to be a blessing to other people. That's why I discipline them. And so if you're in the midst of pain, and you're asking that question, why? And you're bringing that why? And you're bringing that pain to God? The answer, though it may be difficult in the moment to see and to understand, is God has brought you to that place for your good, so that he might teach you so that he might grow up in you, trust in him. Look at the plenty side of things. It's so easy. If we never have discipline, if we never have hard circumstances, if we're never forced to trust God, it's so easy to just forget him because we feel like we don't need him. But when we feel like we've got nowhere else to go, that's actually the grace of God, brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the grace of God saying, I've taken away all the things that you might try in the world so that you might clearly see that I am the only thing. If your problems are in the world, you need something beyond the world for your problems.